0: Th- thanks for taking time off for me, by the way. Uh, I really appreciate you doing this. I'm very excited to talk to you about this. Um, one of the things I forgot to mention was that your family was part of the original Roanoke settlement, right?
1: Uh, there's, You know what? We did some research on it, and there were mudgets in, in, at Jamestown. Roanoke I think there was a mudget or a mudge in Roanoke, although to tell you the truth, after all the research I did, I wasn't able to prove it was something I could take into a court of law, that's for sure.
0: Okay, all right. But there were so your your original surname was was Mudge?
1: That's that's the name we think we've traced back into, you know, like sixteenth century England. And why it developed the French ending we still haven't figured out, but uh it's you know it's a, you know it's kind of fascinating stuff about your roots. I don't know of uh, the historians that you talk about it, They've got into the other, the other mudgets in American history. But there was an Ebenezer mudget.
0: <laughs> yeah. Who was
1: he? Was the one he was the one that created the Pine Tree Revolt, which was the uh, motivation for the Boston Tea Party.
0: Huh. I didn't but, know that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. It, you know, I, I've got some ups and downs in my roots.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Well, I like it. I, First of all, I love calling you the Mudge. Second of all, so it would be, <laughs> if it was the French, it would be Mouget.
1: Which which gets a little, it's hard on the tongue. Yeah,
0: right? <laughs> <Here>. <laughs> it's a little bit. Uh,
1: you know, calling me the Mudge is funny. That's what my co-star called me d- uh, during uh, production.
0: Oh, really? Oh, man, she stole it from yeah. me.
1: Yeah, she called me that. I tell her Skelly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Scully in the Mudge, uh, coming yeah. soon to uh, to Fox Fox TV. So you've kind of put together this theory that H.H. H. Holmes, famed serial killer, a guy we – I can't even believe we didn't get into any of this stuff uh, in the past hour. But you believe that H.H. H. Holmes was actually famed serial killer Jack the Ripper. Uh, um, you know, if they were contemporaries, uh, they were basically happening right at the same time. How did, you come, how did you postulate this?
1: I was writing my book about my, my relative. Basically, my book is about the journey I took once my grandfather revealed the secret. And the other books about Holmes are how many people he murdered in the murder castle or how many shoots it had down to the basement. I, I try not to get into that. But, but while I was writing, a man from Pennsylvania named Mark Potts contacted me who'd spent 20 years of his life. Trying to put together his theory that Holmes was also Jack the Ripper.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Okay,
1: and, and I had the same reaction that most people do when I give them my theory that Holmes was the Ripper. They, for some reason, the body of water in between New York and London causes doubt um, unless a ticket is established, you know, proving he went across. So, I, you know, I, I was doubting. I, I checked Mark's evidence once, twice, three times. We got together, and, you know, lo and behold, once he started explaining to my open mind the evidence he had, I was amazed and took it further from there, um, calling, wow. men, calling many of the people that I'd worked with in forensic sciences and, and prosecution asking their advice how to take this investigation and I spent, you know, four or five years on it and then uh, Was asked to give that Ted talk that I don't know if you've seen on YouTube.
0: I have I put it up on, on the website as well It's really okay. interesting.
1: Yeah, and um, we contacted um, I knew from experience that you know while the basis of our argument is the comparison of handwriting, I knew, I knew that handwriting evidence in a court of law, is, is a, disputed, it's a disputed piece of direct evidence. And, and the Supreme Court's even discussed it, while, how dangerous it is to say, send a man to death because of handwriting evidence. And, you know, as a, proce- as a prosecutor, you can find an expert who says, yeah, that's, that matches, that's exactly the same hand. And then the defense will bring an expert that says, no, no way, look at these nuances. And the judge is often left asking the jury to put their own eye on it and make their own call. Well, well, instead of doing that, instead of going and finding an expert, you know, that would back me up, which Mark already had, a couple experts that said they were the same hand, I took it to the University of Buffalo, which has a company named the Cedar Fox Company, which is used by the CIA and the FBI and even Scotland Yard sometimes. And they run the documents through a computer, which comes back with obviously an unbiased Opinion without preconceived notions regarding the similarity of the handwriting on the two separate documents. And they were, they were very anxious to help me do this. They ran it, they ran it through their computer and they came back with a a number which still astounds me 97%. They also said that, you know, if I had the funds, they would like to reprogram their computer to match the font used at the turn of the century
0: that's uh, th- what well, that's incredible
1: yeah and they were convinced if i did that they could come up with 100% which you know from the out- which from the outfit the fbi uses is pretty amazing now i get you know even when i state those numbers and put them up on a screen for a crowd like the ted 3000 lawyers and doctors and journalists and so on, Um, and when I ask them to vote and they come back with 77% yes, it matches, I still get doubters all the time about that. And I imagine that's just dealing with Ripper. That's what you're, it's, I think you and I talked about this before, but if you and I got into a time machine stand and went back to October 31st, uh, 1888, and you, and you pulled out your Samsung video adapter and, and recorded Holmes murdering Catherine Eddows, and we quickly came back to the Kern and you, and you called ABC, NBC, and CBS and said, I've got a video proving who Jack the Ripper was. Half the world would doubt you, okay? They, even with the video, they're gonna doubt you. And, and that's what you're really faced with. So when you, when an author decides he's going to present a theory about who Jack the Ripper is, you got you got to come you got to come prepared that you're going to have 10 20 30 million people that think you're crazy
0: well I think that that's true with anything you're trying to prove right I mean like look I'm a layman I don't know anything and I, I've seen I've, I've seen the entire American Ripper and I saw the TED talk that you did I, what's well here's here's how little the average person can really know because if if you when I saw the handwriting comparison I thought of all the arguments you presented I thought that was the weakest argument to be perfectly honest like I looked I looked, at, I looked at the comparison and to my untrained eye, they look—they don't look similar at all. And yet, when you put it into a forensic machine that's trained and calibrated, you get a much higher number. So there are these little nuances that an expert or a computer can see that the average person can't see, which goes to your point that if you allow it and a judge leaves it to the jury, an untrained eye again, you may not get the verdict you want, even though the evidence could be compelling.
1: Well... My my evidence of handwriting was the TED Talk. History's evidence of handwriting was American Ripper, all right? I, I was not asked about how that should go. And I can't discuss that because I have NDAs with history and A&E. And, but that, I can only tell you this. My presentation of handwriting evidence was my TED Talk
0: okay and and it's yeah, and and that's kind of what you go over and you go over it pretty extensively um you know it's it just what i'm it just surprised me that it was so so close which is which is an important point in the story that you're you're telling, so you started doing the handwriting analysis, you started seeing these connections, you're working with Mark Potts. what was the next thing that you went to because the the Ripper murders and a lot of the h h home stuff it's very different. You know, like Holmes had the secrecy. Well, we don't know that it was different. Holmes had the secrecy of the castle. The stuff he was doing here was a lot of asphyxiation, um, but he was selling skeletons and all this stuff. How did you connect that to the very brutal murders that were going on in England?
1: Well, and that's something Amaryllis, my co-host, the CIA trained forensic scientist took on herself because I wanted to stay away from that part of the investigation knowing that the doubters would immediately say Jeff's trying to sell his book and that's mm. I get that a
0: lot now. But there's isn't really much about this in the book, honestly.
1: No, no, I, I I agree, but I had to I anyway. So, Amaryllis came up with the theory and I and I completely agree when Holmes was in London and committing these murders, Dan, he knew to escape. Uh Arrest and prosecution, all he had to do was buy a ticket home, all right? And when you, when you read his own words in his memoirs, over and over again, Holmes is always considering his escape routes when he commits a crime. And, and he knew buying a ticket home was easy to escape Scotland Yard. But murdering the same way in Chicago would have ended up in him being arrested incarcerated, executed, and buried in some Chicago grave, all right? That was obvious. He knew he needed a more secretive platform to commit the same kind of murders. Now, the fact that we didn't ever get to investigate those murders in the basement of the murder castle, some will tell you, well, that proves murders didn't happen there. I I don't take that, that viewpoint at all. I think the murder castle was designed by Holmes to commit crime, and to sell skeletons. And he was the master of reducing the evidence of murder to absolutely nothing. The, one of the scientists that you penned the other day stood up and gave a press conference. And she was the one the court um, ordered and history hired to identify the cadaver after we exhumed it. And she has grown fascinated with the theory that Holmes might have been the Ripper, which wasn't, which wasn't her job. But she's taking that on, on her own now at the UPenn. And she said one of the, one of the things that history forgets, two of the things she brought up, which I found fascinating, was how Scotland Yard and the original London Metropolitan and their police reports from the crime scenes, they come to the conclusion more than once that it was an American doctor. Now, history has evolved those suspects away from that because Hollywood's made movies and authors have written books about royalty and things like that. So, so what she does now is she goes back and goes to those original reports because you've got to wipe away the century of, of conjecture and, and um, you know, guesses. And she said when you see the autopsies, when you see the organs that were removed without damaging the bordering organs. She said, as an anthropologist, she had she told she explained this to the press. That takes an incredible amount of knowledge and talent. It couldn't have been a butcher, it couldn't have been the lawyer for the royal family. It had to be a medically trained surgeon to remove the uterus and not damage the ovaries or the kidneys or the liver, she said, is an incredibly difficult exercise, especially when you're talking about five minutes time. And she was explaining this, and I I sat there mesmerized because for the first time, I had someone backing my theory up. But not only was this a doctor, this was a trained surgeon who had done these things before.
0: But, okay? but that theory's been out for a long time because I heard that when I was looking at Ripper, you know, years ago, people had always thought he was a doctor. So that's not really that's not news.
1: Oh no, the, the modern theories blow that off. They they throw it out the door. They um they say anybody can open up a body and remove a set of kidneys oh. or a liver.
0: Oh, I've, I've never and heard just that. Just, that's interesting.
1: Okay, all right. <laughs> no, well, just, just I've always thought he was a doctor. I'm just telling you what this trained anthropologist was saying a month ago.
0: Yeah, and I believe her. Then she
1: went on. Then she went on to explain this. She said, "Eliminating the evidence of a murder so that law enforcement can't find it is probably the second most incredible aspect of Holmes in Chicago and his abilities, and that those you know to reduce bone and flesh and teeth." So that authorities can't find that evidence of murder would have taken someone with his skill, his intellect, and his training. So those are the things that I, you know, look now at to find new aspects in helping prove the case. Now, do I have the knife he used to to kill Catherine Eddowes in London? No, but as you as if you watched The American Ripper, you saw that we came up with knives made in London that were Holmes's possession. And there weren't, there, we, we checked, there weren't any evidence of DNA on them. And, and quite frankly, we wouldn't have been able to prove it was Catherine Eddows' or Elizabeth Stride's right,
0: right. DNA anyway. Right.
1: But uh, I, uh, those are the things I, I stand, I, I challenge the world all over, Dan. I go on shows like yours more than any other author, and I ask them, you know, if you want to put your suspect up against Holmes, and we go bullet point by bullet point the, if, the evidence that Scotland Yard and London Metropolitan discovered. None of your suspects will stand up to Holmes. Here we got 5'7", 150 pounds, 25 to 35 years old. We have profilers creating images which look remarkably like him. Not only ours, the BBC and Scotland Yard did the same thing. And when you when you add those up, when you put in those two the the two renowned um, linguists that we had on the show who came to the conclusion that Dear Boss was written by an American trying to sound English. Um, I gotta tell you, I I don't know how much more you have to do to establish probable cause. I can tell you though, that if Holmes were alive today, Dan, I could walk two English prosecutors into an American court. We could secure an arrest warrant based on the evidence we have now that he committed those two murders. We could have an order, we could have an order for extradition drawn up and Holmes would have to stand trial in London for those two murders. Now whether that could be enough to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he was the killer, I don't know. But that's how a murder, that's how a murder investigation happens. You reach probable cause, you arrest the suspect, and then the machine starts developing that evidence beyond a reasonable doubt to prove your case.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I, mean, I think you're, you're exactly right. I mean, I, I do. I do agree. He was a surgeon. That everything was. I don't know that that the the murders with the surgical precision proves he's an American, which I think is kind of one of the things you assumed beforehand. Now maybe the letters can prove that he was an American trying to sound English, which is a really interesting twist on it, um, especially if he was depending on who he was fooling.
1: That's exactly what I said. I didn't go off on the tangent. The way the murders are committed doesn't prove he was an American.
0: Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, and, and here's the other thing. And you mentioned this before, which which I think is something people overlook, is that Holmes did everything for a profit. You know, he was not only selling skeletons, but even when he was going through college, he was selling body parts, selling bodies. This was like part of how he made money. And so when you when you look at the murders in London— You've got a lot of missing body parts. And you know, it's very possible that he was look I think he was taking reproductive organs as well. I don't know how difficult these were. I don't know what the black market looked like in London in the eighteen hundreds for human body parts, especially female. But that could very well tie into what he was doing here. I found that to be very striking actually.
1: No, and you you bring up a good point. I, I'm often asked that and I don't have an answer why he would have murdered those Two Whitechapel prostitutes. I know he probably was fascinated with the attention the London media and law enforcement was giving the two previous murders, which had occurred about five or six weeks earlier. He he even mentioned like slightly in Dear Boss, you know, about two murders. He didn't say he committed them. And Holmes was. It, it's difficult to try to step into his shoes, Dan, and figure out what he was thinking because. He was always two or three moves ahead. I'm, I'm of the opinion he might have been testing law enforcement a little. Um, like you say, the organs he removed, I don't know what business there was in London for those things. I know he sold skeletons in America. He didn't sell livers and kidneys.
0: Oh, I thought he did to get through um, college. That's not, he didn't do that? A skeleton. Oh, okay. He was
1: a grave robber. Okay. He was a grave robber, which, which in his own book he denies. He denies. So, but um, men, most historians tack that on to him. So, but but your point is, is, is a good one. I don't know why he was in London, and I don't know why he killed those two women. And uh, to try to establish that M.O., mm-hmm. you know, without being able to put him on a witness stand and cross-examine him would be, in my opinion, impossible.
0: Yeah. Well, there's, you know... Uh I wanted to give people just a taste of your theory. Obviously, we we can't hit all the points, but you know, in in the show, there's a lot of good stuff in American Ripper where you know you talk about you may have found his name on a manifest and you know going from America to to London and back, which is very difficult to do given the age of the records and also how disorganized a lot of people were at that period of time, especially coming into America. There was a lot of immigration at the time, so you guys managed to track down um, his name on a manifest, which is very interesting. Right around this time. And one of the other things that I thought was was really interesting is he, Holmes was very litigious and there's a lot of paperwork about him in, in Chicago with lawsuits and, and doing all kinds of like fast claim deals on properties, all kinds of scams, which drops off right before the murders and then picks up. After the murders, the, the uh, Jack the Ripper murders in London, and to be perfectly honest, of, of all the things that are really striking, that is—that's a really big piece of evidence that I think um, that people may also overlook as coincidence or whatever. But that's very important for someone who was very much in in the legal landscape. Um, to me, and this is this is not scientific at all, Jeff. This is not this isn't at all. Uh, you know, I don't have any evidence to back this up, but when it's funny that you get so much resistance against this theory because when I first heard it, <laughs> no, honestly, and, and, and actually, so, no, I'm,
1: i my friend, I've been living with this for ten years. I, I, I agree with.
0: No, I mean, like when I first heard this theory, I it genuinely like connected all the dots for me because I was like, that makes so much sense for a lot of different reasons. And again, I didn't, I, that was before hearing any evidence, but to me, how many. To have two prolific serial killers operating at the same time, I mean, they're both considered the first, quote-unquote, um, in their respective regions, but they're happening concurrently with such brutality that has a notoriety. I just don't think there's that many people that were operating like this at the time that it, it just – when I heard when, – when I finally was investigating H.H. H. Holmes and just learning about him, your theory just made so much sense. It connected so many dots um, that that it felt more like, oh, this is something that people should definitely listen to and pursue because I think he may have solved the murder. And it just shocks me that people give you so much resistance. I mean, it would be something that if I was really interested in Jack the Ripper, I would want to listen and say like, oh, huh, well, let's hear what he has to say. Maybe this is something that has a lot of merit to it. So it just surprises me. I'll be honest with you.
1: No, I, I and I appreciate your understanding some of those nuances about the crime because you're exactly right. Uh, Holmes the frauds he committed, the documents he would master, and you know alibis that he concocted. He had it, you know. You know the show, The Better Call Saul. Of course, Holmes had a Better Call Saul lawyer in every major city in America. <laughs> we, we could contact that could create an alibi. For him.
0: Oh, and had a that, every, he had Saul Goodman every. <laughs>
1: the women in his life all were he had notarized once he had seduced them. So they became notaries so they could sign his name to documents when he wasn't even there.
0: Oh, wow. That's a, oh.
1: that's the way he thought. So when you bring that up, that's very good. also, uh, history and Amaryllis came up with, I hadn't really uh, put much attention on this before, but they came up with some great stuff about a very Ripper-esque style killing that occurred in New York City that Scotland Yard came across the Atlantic to investigate because of its connection with Jack the Ripper in London. And then Amaryllis and Detective uh, Dan Johnson, working on the Chicago archives, where they discovered four or five more Ripperess-style murders when Holmes was in Chicago, with bodies that had had their necks sliced and then disemboweled, which the Chicago police classified as "quote unquote" suicides. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you recall that scene in the show. I, I do. That's the one that struck me as wait a minute, wait a minute, this is great evidence and it stops during the Ripper killings in London.
0: Hmm, yeah, yeah.
1: And that's that's see that gets into the MO we were talking about earlier. Now is it enough to walk into a court of law as direct evidence? Absolutely not. Is it circumstantial evidence you could argue to a jury? Maybe, maybe a judge would let you do that. Most judges probably would say it, when it was objected to, they would exclude the evidence.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, that's, I mean, it's amazing. And also because both uh, the Whitechapel District and Chicago at that time were overcrowded, overpacked. A lot of these murders could happen. People could disappear. Um, and no one really knew. And those it was like a playground for Holmes. I think Amarillus may say that in the show, but it's, it's so true um, that he was just in the right place to do what he was doing without really getting caught. So um, it's, it's pretty amazing stuff.
1: Over 500 young women went missing during the exposition.
0: That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, there were a lot, there were millions of people there, so. What
1: 20 million? Yeah, 20 million Yeah, so it's there.
0: actually that's actually seems like a low number, um, given the, the sheer volume of people coming in and out. But 500 people is still a lot of people.
1: Well, and it's like you say. Imagine being Holmes. Imagine seeing you know two miles down the road from your host, hotel is the greatest exposition in the history of mankind. 20 million people walking around him, knowing the police are overloaded. They can't possibly investigate every miss, missing young lady. Mm-hmm. And he's like he's like a lion on the savannas of Africa watching the antelope, if you ask
0: I, me. I completely agree. I think you're exactly right. Uh, well, Jeff, i got to thank you for, for talking to me more about this. And honestly, people listening... Follow Jeff if, you, if this even strikes a chord with you, um, because I think, I, think, I think you're doing the, really the, the cutting-edge work on this theory. I think it's, I think it's valid, and, and I think you'll be vindicated.
1: Well, Dan, I appreciate those kind words. All, all I ask from everyone listening is you don't have to believe my theory. Just consider the evidence we present with an open mind as if it was happening today and you were sitting on a jury and what you would come back when the judge asked you to make up your own mind. That's all I'm asking, Dan. Yeah,
0: I think that that's totally fair, and I think you make a strong argument. So I want to thank you for being on the show. A little extra time, bonus episode, where you kind of walk us through the evidence, Jack the Ripper. I think it's very compelling, and you've amassed quite a, quite a collection. So thank you for being on the show, and I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night.